Coming off the weekend, time to recap what went on in the NYC, including a big-time knockout by Archer Betterbiev. He now has three of the light heavyweight world championships, and we're ready to discuss all of it. I am merely the somewhat competent host here on Fight Freaks Unite, the recap. He is Big Fight Weekend content partner and insider Dan Rayfield, fresh back from New York at the time that we're talking uh, right here. So I'm looking forward to talking with him on all subjects. First of all, as I said to you leading into the weekend, I say it again publicly here as we come off the weekend, happy Father's Day from one father to another. And same to you. Happy Father's Day. And the same to everybody else out there that's celebrating with dad and uh, and or uh, granddad, et cetera. And, uh, and for those, and I, I do say this, and I, I've said this numerous other places too, for those that have lost their dad or lost their granddad, I understand it's a tougher time in and around here, but it makes you value all of that more. Uh, I have a father, by the way, I'll just share this with you. There was a huge sports fan, and I used to watch fights as a little guy with him, Dan. He, uh, he was a big fight fan, and I think I shared this with you, that he was a big fight fan because of his grandfather watching the old Friday night fights on black and white TV in Memphis, Tennessee in the 1950s. Hello, when the Friday night fights were on, that's when my father became a boxing fan. And he kind of passed some of that uh, along to me as a little kid growing up. So I don't know if you have anything similar or anything like that, but I'm just shouting out to dad there. Yeah, my, my father was not a big sports fan in general, not really into team sports. But what he did like and would watch Big time men's and women's tennis and some big time boxing. So maybe not like a diehard watching the Friday night fights. But when I was growing up, if there was a big fight on, uh, you know, if it was some, it had to be something like a Sugar Ray Leonard, you know, something like that. So when those types of fights uh, were, were, would come up, there was conversation about that and and it would be on the TV or the, the HBO replay or whatever. So I have some memory, you know, remember watching like, Again, I was a kid, uh, you know, Ray Leonard against Don Lalonde on the replay, that type of thing. Uh, but bo- bo- uh, sports and boxing were not big uh, in, 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 uh, in my dad's life. My mom was a baseball fan, not a boxing fan at all. Still doesn't understand what the heck I'm doing <laughs> and how this happened. But uh, I tell her, don't worry, mom, I'm making an okay living. So just relax. (laughs) It's kind of like the deal that I made with mine long ago, which uh, look, Vince McMahon's in in a little bit of hot water. Once again, what a surprise. It ebbs and flows. She made me promise her when I was an up and coming young TJ as a broadcaster, you're never doing professional wrestling. You're never doing professional wrestling. Don't do it. Even though we're professional wrestling fans. I I grew up watching. I know. Long long before I was a diehard boxing fan. I was a diehard WWF fan. I'm not saying I wasn't right there and, with you. I'm saying and I, I would, had to make an agreement with my mother that I, I was not going to broadcast it down the but road. But I would go to the, I went to the matches often. This yeah. is back in like the, before wrestling became like a big mm-hmm. mainstream thing. It was right before that. And it was still a regional organization for the most part in the Northeast where I grew up. And so they would have these house shows that were taking place, you know, close by to where I lived. My, my, you know, my dad lived, uh, you know, an hour and a half away where he lives. So I went to those matches on a regular basis. So I was like a diehard back then. Yeah. Boxing was second to wrestling. Oh yeah. So, uh, yeah, this is kind of the way you grew up watching this kind of stuff and trying to figure it out. And isn't it interesting? And you're going to, you're going to smick, uh, snicker at this and smile professional wrestling storylines and boxing have kind of crossed back and forth on <laughs> and blurred the line on what is real, what is not real, what is really going on here. Uh, what do we have? They they play off each other with the whole promo good guy bad guy thing. So there's a one lot of thing is yeah. different though. 
in boxing when they yeah. punch you in the face it's real in in wrestling yes those guys yes. are tremendous athletes and they take their bumps but they're not really getting punched directly in the face at least intentionally and you've got an Correct. example of that coming up from ringside at the hulu theater where you were right there for one of those real moments in fact both the fights were ending, ending in knockout but one of the real yeah. moments was right in front of you uh on that so lots to get to on fight freaks unite again thank you for finding us coming off of the weekend we're here to recap we're customarily doing this by sunday evening out either sunday night late or monday recapping the weekend as part of the big fight weekend podcast feed and the big fight weekend website Again, uh, follow or subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. One more thing, too. I have not been mentioning this enough. I want to give something away. Before we get into the fight recaps, I want to give something away late in the month. I have got a really cool, and I can't show it to the audience on an audio podcast, maybe on the video clip on the tease. I've got a cool Mike Tyson Evander Holyfield 2, the sequel. I've got a cool cap baseball hat that was given to me 25 years ago when I was doing a radio and they were trying to promote the pay-per-view and promote the fight. And they sent it all over the place. They sent these hats all over the country for radio shows to talk about them. They sent the posters. You are the a one collector of all time. I assume you have that hat. Am I going to have to give actually. it? Do I have to give it to the Rayfield collection before I give no, it to the peeps? I do not. We can give it to the peeps. I got right. a lot of I got a lot of stuff in my okay. collection. I can so, live without that. So the but toy, I don't have it. I do not have that. Do not, this is something Dan Rayfield, who has yeah. thousands and thousands of pieces of memorabilia, correct? Oh, absolutely. And you do not have this hat. Uh, it is a black hat, as I describe it, with the white lettering Tyson Holyfield 2. I'll get the picture up on social media. We'll have it on the video. I want to give that to somebody that's listening to us. If you will simply do this, I'm putting an Easter egg out there. Go find it. Go do it. Go give us a review on Apple Podcast, a review, a five-star review. Give us a rating and review. Take a screenshot of it and tag either Dan or me because Dan and I will see these. And I'm going to set the contest as this for the end of the month before we're done at the end of June. The first 10 of you, the first 10 of you that send us a screenshot that you have rated and reviewed this podcast will now be eligible at complete random. We're going to pick somebody out of those 10 to get the hat, and I will send you the hat. I will not necessarily send you an autographed picture of Dan Raphael because that is worth more than the hat probably. I'm just saying. But I will send you the hat. So, again, very easy to do. Just, just go rate us and review us. Take a screenshot of that on your phone and then tag Dan and me on Twitter, on social media. Tag him in particular. He and I will see that. The first 10 of you are eligible. I will say this, kids, again, that if we don't get to 10, your odds go up on being the on being one of the ones that does this. I want to see some more ratings and reviews. There's several of you that have rated us and reviewed us in the last couple of three weeks. We need to increase that. I'm bribing the audience with a Tyson Holyfield. It's a cool hat. Fight night too. It's a cool hat. hat. It is, it's fantastic. And I will, again, show this off. It's a legendary hat. Rate us and review us. If you're hearing us on Apple Podcasts, hey, TJ, I got a question. Yeah. Can yes. I can I rate and review our own show? You can rate and review our own show. Can, and I, can I be eligible, eligible to win contest. that? However, if you rig, if I rig the contest, this will probably be our last contest because then the peeps will be mad at us and they will look to overthrow the governments uh, from wherever they hear us, and it will be trouble. But uh, again, that's all you have to do. And at the end of the month, I believe the anniversary is the 27th, coming in about eight or nine days from when we're taping right now. At the end of the month. Whoever the first 10 are that have rated us and reviewed us, we will randomly pick one of you. You will win. I will send you the hat. You will have it. Hat has never been worn. 
by that anybody, was, I was going to ask you that, including me. Hat has never been worn. It's yours from Tyson Holyfield too. We're bribing you as part of Fight Freaks Unite, the recap and the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. Okay, so with all of that out of the way, we'll talk more about the hat at, at later times. Let's get into it. You went to New York. You covered the top-ranked boxing ESPN fight card. The main event we'll get to in a bit with Arthur Betterbev bashing Joe Smith in just two rounds. We're both shocked that it ended that quickly. Uh, more uh, analysis and, and uh, insight into that from Dan in a couple of moments. Let's get into the undercard where Robisi Ramirez in a featherweight non-title bout, very impressive with a knockout over Abraham Supernova. You were there. Tell me more about it from the Hulu Theater, Dan. The prevailing thought at ringside was, that's the guy that top rank signed out of the Olympics who won two gold medals for Cuba. That's the guy that was explosive, that had skills, that could do everything, that was a potential future world champion, as opposed to the guy that came into the pros uh, probably having a lot of issues mentally as far as having fled Cuba, all the, all the issues it took to get him into the United States and to get his pro career on track and do a lot of things that caused a lot of issues that were not necessarily related to his abilities in the boxing that led to him having a loss in his professional debut that set him back. That was a very disastrous performance. And slowly but steadily, uh, you know, he, he remolded his team. He stuck to it. He worked hard. And it was a fantastic performance and there's no other way about it. I mean, it was a really eye-opening, spectacular kind of performance. And it said to you, because again, I'm not saying Abraham Noble was somebody that was on the pound for pound list, but he's a real guy who had also a good amateur background, maybe not obviously as deep as Ramirez with the two gold medals and all those other international uh, events that he uh, performed at an extremely high level at. Remember, this is the guy that defeated Shakur Stevenson in the gold medal match in the Olympic Games. So he's no joke. He's got a lot of those kinds of wins on his record. Uh, but Nova was a good, solid, uh, undefeated test for him as a professional. He aced that test really impressively. And, uh, you know, it just goes to show you that if you lose your pro debut and it's a disaster, you can come back. And he's in a great position right now because that was like – it wasn't like an official title eliminator where the the guy that wins is the mandatory. It was only a 10-round fight. But regardless, uh, it was the kind of fight that – the because it was for one of the regional WBO titles that they, that they hold in high regard, the organization, that he, Ramirez is going to shoot up in those rankings and going to put himself in a great position to get a world title fight for the WBO, WBO belt in the not-too-distant future. Now, Emmanuel Navarrete has that title. Uh, as I put on Twitter last night, he's coming back in August to defend his title uh, in San Diego, and that may be his last defense from what I am told, that there's a good likelihood that he'll move up. So the point really? is it actually will position – Robesi Ramirez off that victory, potentially to fight for the vacant title against the next available contender in the WBO rankings. Question but that was on a, that. We'll get back to the knockout. Why yeah. would Navarrete not stick around for what would be a very intriguing fight? Is there a much better fight at 130 for him to move up again? Because he already moved up from 122. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know, he's it's it's probably the way these things go. It's there's probably a little more money in the weight in the heavier weight class and. Frankly, it's, uh, it's weight issues also. Guys don't like to keep making 122, 126. I, haven't, I don't know that for sure. I haven't spoken to right. him, but that's what I'm led to believe. But the point is, in terms of Ramirez's career, it was a great victory, and it was a, a great performance. And look, even when he was winning fights after the pro debut loss, he had a lot of fights that just stunk out loud to watch if you're a fan. He, he just did not fight in, in a crowd-pleasing style. I understand getting the victory is paramount. But it is entertainment, and at some point you have to also make fans at least give a damn about why you're in the ring. And he had, there had been some fights where he would do that and some fights where he wouldn't, that there was like a lack of consistency in the fight on Saturday. He really put it all together. He boxed well, he defensively, he was sound 
Offensively, he was dynamite. His left hand is devastating as a southpaw. And uh, and Supernova, again, not a bad fighter at all, and absolutely got blown out. And when the knockout happened, when he finally got dropped, when the fight was over, that happened a couple of feet in front of my face. And it was a brutal, brutal knockout. And right left I'll hand, say this now, straight, straight left hand, right, right down the pipe, right on the button, right and, on the button. And so in that, in that moment, what I always, I've been ringside at these, uh, not necessarily press row, but ringside. You can't, you can't convey in that moment because the crowd usually erupts depending if it's a big moment or whatever. What was that moment like though? Because you haven't been back and in and around that in New York for a couple of years, as you've said, what was it like? Well, it was just you're, you're, you're worried for Abraham Nova's health and safety because it was a bad knockout. It wasn't like, you know, the ref just stopped the fight or he got knocked down and, you know, he couldn't beat the counter. The ref decided to end it. He was pretty much out. I mean, the medical people were right on him in two seconds. I mean, I'm glad he was okay. You know, like we said in the preview podcast, I follow Abraham Nova on purpose for a long time and very closely because he's from my hometown. And so, you know, that's the kind of thing that you, that you, you follow along in that particular situation. So, you know, Supernova is a guy that, that I've been following for a number of years. And so he's a guy that I was hoping, you know, like I said, my, my heart was saying Nova, my head was saying Ramirez. And in what happened was he got knocked out. Now, fortunately he was okay. I saw him at the hotel later after the fight. Uh, we were outside uh, standing out there. He was with a couple of guys on his team and we were having a chat and uh, you know, he was a little bit down, but he was in good spirits. He says, listen, you know, Ramirez is a hell of a fighter. I got caught with a great shot. Um, I'm not going to say it's an excuse, although I've heard fighters use it as an excuse, but he did say that he was going back up to 130 pounds. Remember, he'd been fighting at 130. He came down to 126. He said he felt that the weight was a problem for him, and uh, that was uh, you know, his story. And I, we, we kind of joked around because if anybody followed the buildup to this fight, uh, Supernova did a lot of talking, a lot of yakking about how <laughs> Ramirez this, he's going to do that. I said, you know, you, you maybe awoke a sleeping, a sleeping giant, or, you know, you poke the bear with the, with the stick and maybe that's not the best thing to do. Uh, next time you're trying to get under the guy's skin, maybe just lay back and, you know, you get more flies with honey uh, because Ramirez came to us after the fight was over and through the translator at ringside, you know, said that the things that, that, that Abraham Noble was saying in the buildup to the fight pissed him off. And uh, you know, he, he got him up a little bit for the fight, even more than he already was. And he kind of took it out on him. So uh, in the end, you know, good luck to Nova going back to 130 pounds and see if he can do something in that weight class. I, I'm not going to write him off just because he lost to uh, a two-time Olympic gold medals. And for Ramirez, in my opinion, uh, the first 10 fights of his career, you know, up to leading up to this fight was all just sort of like, let's get our shit together. Now it seems like he's on his way to really doing something special. Again, Dan Rayfield has great insight, was right there in the Hulu Theater adjacent to Madison Square Garden. So Ramirez gets the win. You were talking about him. Before we get to the main event, which we'll spend some more time on, what else on the undercard, including Shushu Carrington with a win? What else did you see on that undercard here in the recap? Well, mode? there was actually, there was, there was, there was, uh, it was, you know, listen, in, in the end, you know, sometimes these undercards are not anything special because it's a lot of one-sided walkover fights or, you know, kind of fights where they're just throwing guys in. But there were, there were some good entertaining fights where prospects, we're not fighting complete nobodies, but the two guys that, that stood out to me among all of the guys, well, really, I guess I have to say three. First of all, there's a kid named Floyd, Floyd Diaz, who's a 122 pounder. People who watch the old Floyd Mayweather uh, 24 sevens might remember him as the little kid in the gym. They called cash flow. Well, now he's not wow. a little kid anymore. Okay. I now, know what you're talking about. That's yeah. him. Wow. That's him. Now he's, now he's a young professional. He moved to, uh, he went to, I believe five and zero last night, 
and he looked pretty good. He's fighting at 122 pounds. He won a six round decision, but what was impressive is he did it after having learned that his grandfather had died just a couple mm. hours earlier before the fight. So, you know, condolences to him, but he was able to put that aside or, you know, compartmentalize or whatever. And, uh, you know, came out and scored a win on that undercard. The two other guys that were, that were, that were impressive to me. Number one is the 2020 United States Olympian that fought in the delayed Olympics in Japan. That's Troy Isley, a middleweight, who's just a bull. He's strong. Mm-hmm. He's built. And, you know, he, he seems like he hits hard. You know, the guy that he was in, it took him six rounds to get him out of there. A fighter named Dante Stubbs, but I thought Troy Isley looked really good. He's got compact punches. Um, he wasn't like the first round draft pick. Let's say if you were signing guys off the Olympic team, but he was like a value guy in like the third round, let's say, if we're doing a football analysis. Uh, has, a, has a pretty good upside, it seems to me. I was talking to Joe Tessitore at the fight last night, and him and I were of the opinion that as good of a prospect as Troy looks like, seems like he might, because he's a little short for that weight class, he might be better served. I don't know what his physical situation is in terms of the weight making at 160, that he might be better served as a 154 pounder, where he might be able to do some real damage. But in any event, he's a he's a good prospect to keep an eye on. And the other guy that, to me, is the best of the, the class of that uh, undercard, and that's the reason why Top Rank put him in the position as being the last fight before the main card. So, in other words, the main event, if you will, of the ESPN Plus portion. And that's a Brooklyn fighter named Bruce Carrington, Bruce Shushu Carrington, a featherweight, uh, superb skills, and just took apart uh, Adrian Leva. It went five rounds out of the six-round schedule, but he totally dominated and, and I said this to, uh, I was sitting next to my buddy, Keith Eidick from boxing scene. Yep. And I turned to Keith at one point when he was just dazzling and doing his thing. I said, man, I don't want to be like blasphemous or anything, but I haven't really seen that kind of hand speed. And I, I invoked the uninvocable and that was Roy Jones. Ooh. So I'm not going to say he's Roy Jones, but in terms of just the sheer blinding speed of his hands, I had flashbacks of covering the prime Roy Jones and, and also frankly, the, the, the best of Gary Russell jr. Who had amazingly fast hands at his best. As I like to say, you're not saying he is, you're saying reminds me of those are just in that one singular attribute. Hand speed reminds me of, he's not people saying he is Roy Jones and going to have a hall of fame career. Just saying, Shushu's hand speed reminds me of. I'm here to assist. He, Continue. He throws from different angles. He throws with both hands, but the hand speed is really something special. And it's not Fair just enough. because he was fighting an Adrian Leva, just a guy three and two with a draw. The hand speed is the hand speed, whether you're fighting the world champ or you're fighting, you know, a complete stiff. His hands are fast. Well, let's go back uh, just on this point real quick, and then we'll move on to better be Evan Smith. You go back to Sugar Ray Leonard. When you watched him in the Olympics, what do I know? But I was a little guy. And and the first thing you observe is, man, his hands are fast. And then you watched him as a professional. And everybody's talked about this with the documentaries or whatever. Not just the hand speed, but the power with that hand speed. You knew just to what you're saying, that is something special. That is something that is not taught. You either have that, you can enhance it, but it's not taught. It's not something you can become if you don't have it. So you're just saying right now, lower level prospect, he reminds you. Shoo, shoo. I wouldn't even say he's a lower level prospect. He was a really good amateur. He's not young. He's only got, uh, he's 4-0 now with three knockouts, but he's 25 years old. So in prospect land, particularly as a featherweight, that's not exactly young. So he's in a situation where top rank 
no, he didn't turn pro that long ago. Top rank will move him quickly as, as, right. as much as they feel like he can handle it. But based on the skills that I have seen, and by the way, that was not the first fight I have seen him in. Uh, he was 1-0, I believe. Then he signed with Top Rank, and he had his first fight with the company. I want to say it was on the Tyson Fury, Deontay Wilder 3 undercard, uh, which I was also at. And, uh, you know, he's looked good as he's coming along, and he's got a good personality. He's an interesting character. He was in the ring wearing the uh, the, the colors of the of the New York Knicks and the New York Mets, the, the royal blue and the orange. So he knows how to play to his crowd. Uh, I think he's going places, the bottom line. Should have come in with the Yankee colors. You're a Yankee guy. They're having uh, such a monstrous season. And the Mets have not been bad this year, too. The Knicks are just the Knicks uh, up in New York and in the Garden. He's playing to the Garden crowd, though, with that. Uh, all right, we've waited long enough. Main event, Archer better be of Joe Smith Jr. We talked a lot about this leading in on the Big Fight Weekend Preview Podcast. We also talked about it on the BetUS uh, boxing show that's on every Friday live at 1, BetUS's channels, their YouTube page. I was shocked that it was over this quick. Uh, over early in round two, better be of just overwhelming and blasting Joe Smith Jr. You were at ringside, Dan Rayfield. Elaborate on what you saw and how surprised were you that it ended that quickly? Well, like we talked about in the in the in the last you know show when we were previewing, as well as on the Bet US show, when you have two big punchers like that, you're never totally shocked when a fight ends early because you know it's the the you can't under you know you can't measure when a guy's going to land, if a guy's going to land, how a guy's going to land. And you just never know. And if a guy lands at the, when there are big, heavy punchers, you can take a guy out in one round. So the fact that it ended early was really not a surprise to me. What was kind of a surprise was the way that better be. I've just walked right through Joe Smith, who really gave him no real resistance. He landed a couple of decent shots when they were in some, you know, in, in close. But the right hands from better be were devastating. Uh, he doesn't throw a million punches, but he's so accurate. He's so precise. His punches are so compact and so short. You know, people have to understand what Arthur Betterbiev is. He is a two-time Olympian from Russia originally, where they have great amateur backgrounds. So it's hard to make the Olympic team there, as opposed to some other countries where it's not as taxing, let's say. So if you're making, in the years that he was boxing in the Olympics, if you're making that team, you're already an elite amateur, first of all. Second of all, as a professional, and, and this, is, this has been in my mind ever since this fight was made. When he turned pro, he moved his life and his family to Montreal, Canada. He considered himself Canadian. He lives there. He's, he's, he's raising his children there. His wife is there. It's where he trains. It's where he lives. He comes in under the Canadian flag, et cetera. But the reason why he wound up in Canada was because when he turned pro, he was signed by Yvonne Michel, the promoter, uh, the number one promoter from Quebec, who has been a promoting boxing for got to be over 30, maybe 35 years, maybe even longer. And, and, and Yvonne is a good boxing guy. He knows his stuff. And he's been doing it for a very long time. And years ago when he signed Better BF, I had a conversation with Yvonne Michelle, and I believe that at that time, Arthur Betterbeev had not yet had a professional fight. He was 0-0, getting ready to turn pro. Maybe he was 1-0 or something like that. And Yvonne Michelle said to me, trust me when I tell you this, he's the best fighter I ever signed. And this is way before he was a world champion. So that was a meaningful opinion to me. And he's developed, and I've watched him. And the thing I have noticed now, based on what I saw on Saturday, he's the kind of guy, and he even admitted to us when he came down and spoke to us. He speaks English now you know, pretty well. He came down and he spoke to us after the fight. And the, the question was, when you won your world title for the first time against Noriko Kohli, a fairly unknown German fighter, I was at that fight in Fresno, California. Uh, you know, the big hype was he had gone uh, uh, a few rounds, but never been, never been past a certain number of rounds and was knocking, obviously had knocked everybody out. Uh, and with Kohli, took him into the 12th round. And everybody was at ringside going, is he going to get the knock on and extend the streak? And he finally got it in like the last round of the fight. 
And, but he didn't look particularly good. Now you fast forward to some title defenses, Adam Danes in Russia. You know, he, he knocked him out, but he didn't look particularly good. He got touched a little bit. Um, Callum Johnson got, got knocked, you know, knocked him down. Uh, he came back and he knocked him out, but it didn't look great, even though it was an exciting fight. The last fight against Marcus Brown, a good fighter, uh, didn't look particularly great, but, but won. And then you take the big fights he's had, the real meaningful, significant fights to him. Joe Smith Jr., who he destroyed, blew him away like no one has ever done. Uh, Alexander Vodzik, the first time he had a unification fight, didn't blow him away, but had a hard-fought, good, exciting fight. It stopped him in the 10th round. And the point was, you do your best work when you're in with your toughest opponent. He says, mm -hmm. yeah, you're right. And uh, Mark Ramsey, who was his trainer, said, we have to work on that. We need to be like that when we're not necessarily fighting the biggest name. So, you know, Mark Ramsey is one of the best trainers in boxing, not just in Canada, and has been now with Arthur for a while. And uh, they've got a great team over there. They have a good corner. John Scully, the former pro, is part of that team. My longtime friend for 20 years, Russ Amber, one of the best cut man of boxing who I've been friends with for a long, long time, is part of that team. They do a tremendous job. And this is a dedicated – this is not a – flashy guy this is not a guy that's gonna be wearing rolexes and chains and coming in with the dancing girls this I is a say, one right, i was gonna say this the first thing that i noticed and i pick up on these things and it's hilarious because i live in florida and we're in the time period still when all of the tourists show up and when they're out on the beach and they look like as i describe it copy paper you know they live where the sun doesn't come out so when when better bf took the robe off and he was white as bed sheets, as white as white rice. I'm like, my man has not been living it up on the Riviera, no. has not been out in the sun doing whatever. He has been training in Montreal or Quebec or wherever in the cold and inside because my man is blinding with how with how white the Listen, skin was. And that told me that's a good thing. He's taking it seriously. To Arthur Betterbiev is a lunch pal guy. Yeah. He may be a decorated amateur. He may have now three world titles. He's made millions of dollars in the last few fights. He's a lunch pal guy, a dedicated trainer to just go to work. And if you're not prepared, it's like I wrote in the story, like a freaking train coming down the hill mm -hmm. with no brakes, like a like a wrecking ball smashing into a side of a building. He is like, a, you know, Tim Bradley. I came back and I watched some of the broadcast called him the Terminator. That's yeah. like the greatest nickname you could ever get for a guy like that. He is like the Terminator. Um, and it's not just that he can punch. People just think he's a brawler and goes there and gets you with that big right hand. But if you really pay attention to what this man can do, he's got good footwork. He's got solid enough defense. He can throw a good jab and he's got devastating power. He doesn't waste punches. He's very economical. He's precise. That's the thing. And the other thing about it, and this was what the conversation was before the fight. If they're both good punchers, who's going to do the more damage? It's going to be the guy that gets to the target first. Who gets to the target first? Arthur better be at because he throws straighter punches and Joe Smith loops more of his punches. And when it's that level, that millisecond makes a difference. The guy that throws short straightest punch is going to land first before the guy with the looping shot. And he's the guy that got it in. And Joe DeGuardia, who was the co-promoter of Joe Smith with top rank uh, came to us also at the, at the press row area after the fight and basically made the point, you know, it was like a nuclear war. Uh, his missiles landed first. Good point on that. I love this insight because you're getting more than what we saw on the ESPN broadcast and the interviews. This is why we have Dan Rayfield here as part of Fight Freaks Unite, the recap, uh, et cetera, the website, the podcast feed here, Big Fight Weekend. Uh, there is criticism, and rightfully so, whenever you get knocked out like that. But some of the criticism was that strategically, what was Joe Smith doing standing right in front of him? Do you believe that Better BF was eventually going to catch up to him. The Better BF you saw in that ring starting night was going to eventually catch up to him, and he just caught up to him quicker. Do you believe that 
Uh, it was a punch that changed everything in the first round. He kind of clipped him behind the ear, behind the head, and maybe that changed everything. What do you believe about strategy flaw or not, or better be of just being that ready, and it would not have mattered if it was the fifth round, he was going to get him like that? Well, I thought he was going to get him. I mean, that's what my pick was. That's what we discussed before the fight. So the fact that he stopped Joe Smith is not a shock to me at all. Uh, the two rounds was a little bit of a shocker. Uh, somebody suggested to me who knows Joe Smith and their team really well, um, I don't know if I buy this suggested to me. I was talking to them on the train when I was on my ride home earlier on Sunday that Joe Smith froze under the lights. I don't necessarily buy that because this is a guy that's been under the lights, maybe not in this level of a fight, but he's been in world title fights before. Um, he fought Bernard Hopkins on a big stage. So I don't know if that was the situation. I think, though, that, yes, the right hands, uh, not on purpose, but may have strayed behind the head a little bit because Joe was maybe leaning in a little bit. That kind of could have discombobulated him a little. Um, I thought that he tried to, that first 30, 40 seconds of the fight, if my memory is correct, where he did try to jab and, and, and keep a distance there, uh, seemed to work a little bit, tell better be of God to him, just couldn't keep it going, obviously. And I think he might've realized that I'm not, I can't, I'm not going to be able to take these shots for a long time. So I have to sell out and let me see what I can do. And it was like, you know, kill or be killed basically. Yeah. And, the, and he got clipped obviously on the temple to use your word. Uh, coming in and then had no legs basically after that. And that's what the referee saw after he went down that time, got back up, had no legs. And he, and he even said, I thought it might get stopped. He said, Joe, walk to me. I don't know how much of the ref mic you could hear at ringside uh, off a of broadcast. He was, oh, listen, he was okay at the end of that. I thought that but the, was re the ref fight. said, walk to me. And he kind of paused for a second. And I'm like, uh Oh, he said, walk over here, Joe. And he did. And, he, and then I'm like, okay, it's going to continue. Yeah. But it was, it was obvious two or three more punches. He's got nothing left. He's got no legs. He's going to get seriously hurt. And then there was one knockdown where he went into the ropes where obviously the referee, yeah. Harvey doc was one of the best referees out mm -hmm. there called an knockdown because clearly the ropes were responsible for keeping him upright. Um, but when he stopped the fight, it wasn't on a knockdown, but he got hammered with an uppercut yes. with another uppercut with the other hand. And then with a the right hand, that was the one that kind of did stray really definitely behind the head. Um, and it basically spun Smith around and he was kind of wobbling all over the place. At yes. that point, you, you know, your guy's already been down uh, a bunch of, you know, three times and he's not throwing anything back in particular, he's getting clobbered. And, um, you know, now I've, now he's been spun around with a shot and he's in the ropes and, you know, Harvey Doc did the right thing. He had no choice but to stop that fight. All right. A few more minutes left here with Dan. So that begs the next question. You said better be have came to you guys uh, at ringside after this is over with. And the, the discussion in the ring was about a, an undisputed fight with Dimitri Bivol. Yes. We know we know Bivol has the golden ticket again to fight Canelo Alvarez somewhere down the road because Alvarez invoked the rematch clause later. He's going to fight Gennady Golovkin first. Okay, so that being said, Bivol has the WBA title. Now Better BF has the other three. Everybody wants that fight to happen, but what is your thought? What did, what, what did uh, Better BF elaborate on to the media at ringside? Well, he reiterated that that's the fight that he wants next. He, he, uh, and he was saying that even before the fight, that if he wins against Joe Smith, he wants to unify all the, the titles. And uh, he feels like, as we talked about, he gets up for the biggest fights. That's why if you look at his biggest fights that he's had, he's had his greatest performances against Bozic and against Joe Smith. So he wants that B-Bowl fight. I think there's some element of the fact that they're both Russian. And it's like, you know, he wants to, to be number one from his birth country sure um there's so there's got to be some element of that um i think he sees a fighter in people that's beatable i mean if if he could do to joe smith uh, what he did with a guy with a kind of a tremendous chin and he knows that joe smith uh at the end of the 10th round when he fought people a few years ago 
had Joe sad uh, Bevo basically out on his feet, but didn't have enough time because the round ended. Um, he knows he can do some damage against Bevo, who's an outstanding technician and a good fighter, obviously, and um, gave Canelo Alvarez a lot of problems. But uh, better Bevo is a different beast uh, in terms of the physical strength. You believe Bevo Zerto Ramirez is going to happen here while Canelo is no, fighting not necessarily. You don't believe that? No, he's it, would will Bevo just wait to see it what depends happens? On what do you think? That's going to be. The, whether whether the Zerto Ramirez Bevo fight happens, the only way that that's going to be forced is that the WBA sends the letter and orders them to make the mandatory fight. Zerto Ramirez is the mandatory. He's won two eliminators. The last fight was 100%. He's the now number one, man, not just number one. He's the mandatory. Bevo hasn't had a mandatory defense in a while. They would have given Bevo uh, the slack if Canelo exercised the rematch clause. Understandable. At this point, there's no reason for them not to order the fight. So whether they do or not is uh, up in the air. I would love to. I mean, that would be obviously, obviously tremendous, uh, a tremendous matchup also. I just don't think that's going to, it's, it's not going to be easy is the point. Now, as was on the conversation on the broadcast night last night, as well as at ringside after the fight, who was sitting in the audience watching last night's fight? That's the British fighter, Anthony Yardy, uh, who's with Frank Warren uh, and Yard who had one title shot in 2019 and got knocked out by Sergey Kovalev in Russia, but gave a good account of himself in that fight. Um, he is now the mandatory once again in the WBO, and that's supposed to be the next fight. Bob Aaron from Top Rank, who is the promoter for Arthur Betterbiev, and has done tons of business with Frank Warren. Obviously, they work together on Tyson Fury and have done other deals. Um, both of them are saying that's the next fight. They're going to do it in the UK, so it'll be a big fight for Frank's broadcaster in England on BT Sport, and it would mean it would come back to the United States on ESPN Plus as a late afternoon fight. They're looking to do it at the end of October. Uh, there's no deal done yet, but both sides seem to think that that's next. But Arthur Betterbiev is going to have something to say about that. He wants to fight for the undisputed title. Now, he may not get to do that, not because the promoters are lining up the yard fight, but because Bevo may not want to go for it. Either A, he'll be ordered to fight his own mandatory, or B, he may just try to, you know, I won't say sit and wait, but uh, do everything he can to make sure nothing happens before he can get that second uh, giant payday against Canelo Alvarez. So All we'll right. have to wait and see. But look, here's the two scenarios that would be acceptable. They do the undisputed fight next, which obviously is the perfect scenario. If you can't have that, the next best thing, way, way down in terms of my interest, is you let better BF fight Yard, who he'll destroy, in my opinion, and you let Bivol fight Zerto Ramirez. And then if they both win, they can do the fight. And there's nothing wrong with that, and we'll probably see but that But that makes fight. too much sense, TJ, for it to actually it's fucking boxing. happen in it's this boxing. sport. Yes, exactly. It's boxing. Pardon my it's, French. I'm all, I get, I get around. You're worked up, up on this stuff, but it's true. It's what should happen, and it's likely not what will happen yeah. if, if this is the case. And the WBA uh, may force the hand of Bivol to get in there. And if you're Bivol, do you want to risk anything fighting Zerto Ramirez when you know you have the golden ticket part two with Canelo Alvarez? That's the point It is prize want. fighting. I mean, yeah. these guys are they're, they're motivated athletes they want greatness but and, you he's know, gonna he make gets, four five times maybe more the money to fight canelo than he would fighting zerto ramirez so why so risk? is he gonna just sit and not fight for the next eight months that's a great question i don't think so you and know you don't i don't think know so either i can tell and you know look you know whatever you think about a uh, yard's chances against uh better bf you know he made the trip over to new york he was there for the fight he came down also to the ringside area to speak to the press after the fight you know he said all the right things he showed respect for Arthur Betterbiev and uh, said he wants to fight. Uh, he'll be amped up to have the fight at home. Uh, you know, Betterbiev doesn't even question the fact that he would have to go to England for the fight. He doesn't care. He'd fight 
you know, in his backyard, in his front yard. It doesn't make a difference to this guy. Arthur Better be of is, again, the, the pound for pound list is getting awfully crowded. But, you know, I did my own a couple of weeks ago. Someone, we got to find a place for him in that top 10 also. I don't know who you bounce out, but, you know, he's proven himself with the types of victories he's Good had answer. and the dominating way he's gotten. Could them. Better be of uh, yard end up actually in Canada, in Quebec, where he's fought no. before? Or there's just no. no sex appeal to that, if you will. The sex appeal is go fight in front of 20,000 partisan Brits and get paid more money because of that. Yeah. If you're if you're Better be of, that's the play real quick. I mean, I don't know what the reason is, but I know what the promoters said and what the fighters said. They're going to go, if the fight happens, it's going to be in the UK. End of story. All right. Uh, we're almost done here. Uh, one other piece of news on Sunday. It's rare that we get this, but the official uh, release, the internet release, the announcement of Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk came on Sunday on Father's Day uh, here in the U.S. The fight will be August the 20th. Curious, though, about some of the specific details. Dan was looking this over. So we have an announcement. We have a date. They're going to begin to play it up. But what else did you notice is there and is not there in the announcement? Go ahead. Well, they they did announce the date, like you said, August 20th, which is not exactly, by the way, a secret. I've reported yep. that. Others have reported that the 20th was the was the date. And uh, that in the fact that it's going to be in Saudi Arabia is not in any way, shape, or form a surprise. They're going to take the dirty money again. Uh, they're going to do it in Jeddah which is the coastal town on the, on the, on the uh, Red Sea that is a tourist attraction, a tourist place that attracts lots of Europeans that come to the beaches and, and, uh, and do those types of things. It's a location where they had uh, the finals of the World Boxing Super Series one year when George Groves uh, fought Callum Smith in the super middleweight uh, final uh, back a few years ago. It's so the they've had, rage on the Red Sea is what yes, they're dubbing it as, yes. That is correct. So, But again, they've announced the date. They've announced the city uh, and obviously the country. But this was kind of strange because they announced already that, um, you know, when they're going to they're going to have like some um, press conferences to promote the fight. They have a kickoff press conference in uh, Saudi Arabia uh, coming up next week. I did find it interesting. They announced Jeddah as the location. They didn't announce the venue, which is kind of weird, because typically, if you know the city you're going to be in, you would know the location in the city you're going to be in. So that was unusual to me. Uh, but they'll have that in the, in the Cl- short period. Clarify for me that we've heard about that dome. The Jeddah yeah. Dome, or what is that a temporary thing that they build, or that's a permanent? I'm not really sure facility. about that. That's that's an interesting question. So we I don't do, know. And we do know that previously, when Anthony Joshua fought the rematch with Andy Ruiz, that was a temporary facility that took them a couple of weeks to assemble, maybe longer. That was a temporary yeah. facility that they did there. So that was in a totally different part of the country. That was correct. in the outskirts of Riyadh. Correct. But my point is, is capital if they have to temporarily build one, they could. But if that dome that we've seen pictures of and has been rumored is a permanent facility, I would just ask, I, I, why would you not have it there? I don't know what they're going to do. But we, yeah, they, that's, didn't you know, listen, I, they didn't tell us. I'm not an architect and I didn't make the deal. So I don't know. But uh, <laughs> and you're not going to play one here on Fight Freaks Unite. I like correct. that about you. And I, and I did not stay at a Holiday Inn when I was in New York either. I like that. Good. Um, You've cracking off all the one-liners here before we're done. Uh, so, but the other this. thing that was that stuck out like a sore thumb, which is the key, because most people don't care what, what the venue is. They're going to want to watch it on TV. Usually when these announcements come, you see the logos for the, the broadcaster, and they make mention of the broadcast uh, in, in, the, in the press release. They may have a quote from one of the executives, et cetera. In this particular case, even though they announced last week or the week before that Anthony Joshua had signed a very long, and a lucrative deal with the zone. There was no mention of the broadcaster for this particular fight between Usyk and Joshua rematch, whether whatever the broadcast would be in America or what the broadcast would be in, uh, in the UK, which from the financial point of view 
the UK money is the biggest one. So my understanding, and this has been the case all along, is that even though he signed the deal with, with the zone, because of the amount of money that the Saudis are paying for the fight, part of what they get for putting up all those gazillions of dollars is they get to be the ones to sell the broadcast rights. So Anthony Joshua and Matchroom Boxing and all the people involved, they are not responsible for where the fight goes. So the Saudi people, whoever they hire or deal with to go out and sell the rights, they could still theoretically, they could make a deal with the zone. They could go make a deal with Sky Sports. They could go make a deal with somebody else. They can make a deal with, you know, anybody in all different areas around the world because they're the ones that now by putting up the huge amounts of money that they will to obtain the rights to promote the event, they control the broad international broadcast rights. Now, that doesn't mean it won't end up on the zone. And obviously, I'm not privy to all the minor details, but it's very telling that Anthony Joshua was announced to have signed a long term deal with the zone. And the first fight that he's had since that deal was announced a few days later, by the way, doesn't say that the zone is the broadcaster for the fight. Yeah, I suspect that it will be. But, it, you know, if Sky Sports decides to, you know, back up the truck and put up a big guarantee and get one more bite at that Anthony Joshua Apple would not be a complete surprise. So there's a lot of shit going on behind the scenes in terms of where the broadcasts are going to line up. Well, and the bottom line is a lot of times just pay attention. Like you keep saying, when they put that glowing release out about signing him to a long-term deal and it doesn't have the verbiage, we are broadcasting the rematch with Alexander Usyk, then that tells you it's not determined, it's not decided, and it may not happen. It may be back on Sky Sports. And again, that's a bigger deal in the UK. I believe here, and I hear you saying this also, the fight's going to be on DAZN in the United States because I, I don't see there being well, any other deal with Top Rank or anybody else. Right, you're probably right the US. Probably that is the case. But again, until it's, what's the old saying? It's done when it's done. <laughs> So, oh, yes, I believe that that fight will be on zone in the United States. But until they tell you it's on zone in the United States, there's nothing. There we go. Good enough on that. Are right, anything in closing before we get out of here on Fight Freaks Unite off the weekend in New York? Did you end up getting a slice of pizza? Did you not do that in New York? You were first time you had been there in a couple of years. Well, since uh, the pandemic, it's been two yeah. years and three months since I've been to New York. Yeah. So, yes, of course, on, on Saturday afternoon before I went to the fight, I did have two slices. Boom. Love that. What do we have that's on? Good. Am I allowed to know everything? Uh, just cheese. Just cheese. Just che that's it. Okay. All right. Listen, I wasn't. I wasn't there for exoticness. I was there I for I'm a good old-fashioned slice get, of New York pizza. Get what it's done, and then go 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 cover the fights and go cover the fight cards. Um. All right. With that, but it was a good trip. Else? Listen, I'm glad. I, I'm glad I went up there. It was worthwhile. The, the fight, the main event was only two rounds, but it was a great Atmos performance. From atmosphere was good inside the pretty good. Yeah. No, they yeah. had a they had a, they didn't have as big of a. I kind of thought it would be a little bit of a bigger crowd because of the magnitude of the fight and the fact that Joe's a local fighter and that the undercard was dotted with local fighters from the New York area and Long Island area. Um, and it wasn't like there was a ton of other things going on sports wise in New York city that weekend. So I, I'd be honest, I was a little disappointed with the crowd. Uh, the tickets were not, they were less than the Berlanga card cost the week before. Um, so I can't really put my finger on it. Maybe the people just decided, you know, that's uh, it's the summer we were going to the beach or whatever, but you know what? I don't care. If you didn't go to the fight, you're lost, not mine. I thought it was a fantastic event. I enjoyed myself thoroughly. Saw some good undercard fights. Saw a lot of good prospects. Uh, saw a, a great, great performance in the main event and got a chance to, to see some old friends again I haven't seen in a while. Good on all those and arguably saw the best light heavyweight in the world in the ring. Tough I don't think it's I don't think it's really arguable. I think tough, it's a it's a fact. Tough no to disrespect to Dimitri Bivol, but yeah. until further notice. Listen, Arthur better be became the linear champion when he defeated Bozic. 
And he's beaten all of his guys by knockout since, and he's fought other good opponents. And while Bivol is an outstanding fighter also, and has obviously a, you know, a career-defining victory at this point now against Canelo, and also previously defeated Joe Smith, although not as uh, in such devastating fashion. For my money, Arthur better be of just on the eye test. He's the number one light heavyweight in the world, period. That's a great way to close it. We are done here on the Fight Freaks Unite recap podcast, Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You'll be reading more about Dan uh, being uh, in and around New York and this fight and what happens next on BigFightWeekend.com. Also, his Substack, Fight Freaks Unite on Substack.com. Search for Fight Freaks Unite. And again, rate us or review us. We're giving away the Tyson Holyfield 2 hat coming up. If you take a screenshot that you rated us and reviewed us, you tag Dan and or tag me and or Big Fight Weekend, whatever, where we can see it. The first 10 of you that do that before the end of the month will draw somebody at random that gets the hat. I think I've covered that thoroughly. We'll promote that some more over the next couple of weeks. I'm in the giving mood, and it's not even the holiday season. And Dan may want this hat when I show it to him as well. It's a cool (laughs) hat. So I'm going to show that. Uh, to the audience, too, on social media. It'll be a lot of fun. Listen, have a great week. We'll be reading you on the site. Glad you got back safely from New York. Behave, and happy Father's Day one more time. You too, TJ. Thank you very much, and uh, I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, good enough. We'll stay in touch on all of these things. Again, fans, we're good. Follow or subscribe. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts. Thank you for being with us, recapping the weekend on Fight Freaks Unite.